Welcome, everybody, to Halos in the Infield. I am Fernando Mendez, and I am joined here by Taylor Blake Ward. Taylor, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, you know, we just talked about all this. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the awkward thing about hitting record. Yeah, got, yeah, got to act like you didn't have a conversation before. Exactly. So uh, what about that kitten? <laughs> yeah, who'd right? You say, who'd you say from a tree? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so how about in terms of uh, your writing? How, how's that been? You know, how, how's the page going and everything? Uh, it's going. I mean, it's, um, you know, just did uh, just kind of keeping it simple this year. Um, you know, prospect highlights, top 30s, um, some draft stuff. Uh, you know, when it comes to draft stuff, usually it's mocks. Sometimes you do highlights. This year I held off and did some mocks and then uh Got brought on by Angels Win, and they've been uh, good to me. So it's been nice, you know, helping out Angels Win and them helping me out a little bit. And uh, it's been fun. Um, the book is, uh, you know, still waiting on some checks. Not from uh, Bob or anything, but, you know, it's going. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. How How's that panned out? I mean, I know we're now sitting on a year post-release. Um, no, pro- well, November. So okay. almost, we're getting there. Um, it's going good. It's, uh, you know, reception's been fantastic um it's just uh publishing is not a fun business so <laughs> outside Hard of that business. um yeah outside of that it, it's really nice and um you know getting to know some people that uh have worked in the business and, and done things it's it's been a really good treat and uh you know like i said the reception's been fantastic more to come more writing uh, to come? well we <laughs> i got asked about that last week too um I have creative ideas, but uh, they're not anywhere near book products at the moment. So okay. uh, the answer is no for now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So um, I guess before we jump into the draft, which is primarily why we brought you on, uh, you know, you're way ahead of us in terms of your draft knowledge. And we always appreciate you giving us the time when it comes to the draft. Um, so let's real quick talk a little bit about this Angels team and what's going on. Maybe I'll get some of your opinions. So what's really been the biggest issue besides health? We know that's kind of been the issue over the last decade, really. But if you had to boil it down to one thing, what do you think is going wrong where we currently stand? I think Perry Manassian hit really well with it. Is They just don't have the depth to compete when uh, when a primary player goes down, whether that be Trout or, or Rendon or Otani, whoever it is. You know, those are your three primaries. Um, Taylor Ward has been uh, really fantastic and a big surprise. Um, I think everyone expected him to turn the corner around his prime, and he's starting to, but uh, performing well. I think losing David Fletcher is as unique as that is because his bat is just not really there. Um, at least you have an established everyday guy. Um, Jared Walsh kind of just mellowing out. He's an everyday regular kind of guy, sometimes a little bit platoony. So your star players are there, but the depth just isn't, you know, and Brandon Marsh, you'd, you'd love to see him kind of turn the corner and you'd love to see Joe Adele turn the corner, but they haven't yet. And until that happens, they're just, they're kind of down a few spots in the roster and the lineup. And surprisingly, it's been the lineup, um, the bullpen, yeah, there's questions. I mean, they obviously Perry addressed it over the winter. Um, the rotation's been fine. I don't see any issues with the rotation. I'd like to see the Angels obviously add an arm. Uh, if they plan on contending, I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. Uh, I think they're minus an, at least a, a rotation arm and a bullpen arm at minimum. 
Um, but, you know, it's just the, on paper, everything had to go right. We said it from the start of the season is, yes, this could be a playoff team. This could be a team that, that challenges for some things. And when they're on full cylinders, absolutely they can. We saw it early in the year uh, when they were 27 and 13 or whatever it was that they were. Um, but just uh, everything had to go right. And right now it's really not. And, and losing, um, you know, losing Joe Madden, uh, big piece. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people that are very um, – you know, like to bash a little bit on Joe, but I think that Joe was a very important piece to creating ways to win. I know they lost 14 in a row during that stretch, but um, it, it's a unique scenario where you're losing a lot of things that I think would have really uh, helped you, especially at this point in the year. Yeah, I, you know, we kind of alluded to that on the episode that was released this morning uh, from us. We'd said that, you know, we were in a situation where when you lose 14 straight, somebody has to get fired, right? There's no doubt about it in this business. It's a performance-based business. And at the end of the day, it's much easier to fire Joe Madden than it is to fire your hitting instructors and all and your pitching coach. So, I mean, that's kind of where we were, right? It was either fire Joe Madden or have to fill out an entire coaching staff midseason, which is just unprecedented. That doesn't happen. Yeah, Joe is a scapegoat. We all know it. And, and I think even, uh, you know, Perry said that he, it was his decision. Um, and I think even Perry was, you know, obviously he was very dead set. He made the decision it's done, but something had to happen, right? It, it just, it was a forced issue that didn't necessarily need to be forced, I guess. But yeah. like you said, someone had to, something had to change. Someone had to go. And, and sadly, that was Joe. And, you know, uh... It, it, it was also a perfect storm, right? That wasn't Perry's guy. He didn't personally hire. That was Billy Epler's pick. And it really, it might've been Artie Moreno's pick. If you really want to get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think Eric Chavez was uh, Billy's guy. Um, I love Eric think, Chavez. I think Brad Osmus was a little bit of Billy's guy. Um, I think they wanted someone a little more established when they were kind of picking their, you know, pins and needles between Brandon Hyde, Eric Chavez, um, uh, Brad Osmus and, and yeah, Brad might, may have been a little bit of Billy's guy, but I, I think Joe, I think Joe's everybody's guy. I think that, yeah, there are people that are uh, a little more analytically inclined that see things like intentionally, you know, walking Corey Seager with the bases, uh, you I was know, at that game yeah, <laughs> and just, and it's like, okay, you know, there is nothing in baseball that says that's going to work. Uh, <laughs> analytical old school. I don't know what yeah. it is. And that was like, okay, this is peak Joe Madden. Like what in the world? But um, yeah, I think Joe is kind of everybody's guy, but like you said, you know, Perry probably has guys in the works and maybe Phil Nevin is that guy. Um, you know, Phil Nevin is a highly respected, uh, coach from the minor leagues during his development time. Um, I was really surprised Jay Bell didn't get a look at any point. Uh, maybe that's because it was a midseason item. Um, Jay Bell no longer with the Angels organization either, which is a little surprising to me, but, um, you know, there was plenty of guys that you could pick from, but when you're going internal, I think Phil was one of uh, Perry's guys to a sense, and Joe may not have been, but like you said, it, someone had to go, right? Someone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's been the last month and a half has just been a, a beautiful disaster, if you will. You know what I mean? It's just been everything, man. It's been, you know, lack of performance. It's been injuries. It's been, you know, the firing of Joe Madden. Like, this has been one of the craziest month and a half of my Angels fandom. And I'm sure in your covering of the team. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I can't remember what it was exactly, and I should, but I texted someone that the hey, I've been covering this team for, uh, gosh, nine years now. And I said, this is the lowest on-field point I've seen at covering this club. Uh, you know, and I, 
obviously I watched the angels growing up being local here and everything. And, and I'm familiar with the angels from the nineties, thousands, et cetera, but covering the team on field, uh, cause there was obviously off field stuff that occurred that was much worse, but on field, this is, there was a low point this year. And I said, well, I just can't believe it. I cannot believe this team is where they are. Yeah. I just hope for our sake that, uh, you know, as people, as an angels fan and people who cover the team, that uh, we're finally starting to hit rock bottom. It's just, you, you kind of never know, unfortunately, right now with the way things are going. But, um, you know, on that depressing note, let's shift a little bit towards the draft. So we brought you on last year. You talked a little bit about what you projected out of the Angels, but I'm sure you didn't have it on your bingo card that they were going to draft 20 straight pitchers. No. Yeah. <laughs> So let's real quick talk just briefly about what we saw in 2021 out of the Angels. So they took 20 pitchers. They signed 19 of them. And I believe the one they didn't sign was the high school arm. No, it was uh, the kid prep out arm? Of no, a kid out of Oklahoma. The prep arm was Mason Albright, who is uh, split time this year between rookie league and low A. Uh, really an interesting arm. I really like him. I know that the on-field, uh, the performance numbers definitely are not there, but um Really an interesting kid. I think a really solid bullpen piece down the road. Um, no, I think it was a kid out of Oklahoma, some reliever type something. Okay. Yeah. So um, did you have Chase Silta being the first player out of last year's draft class to make his MLB debut? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so about a year, well, a year before his debut, he was pitching towards the College World Series, and he just – he would, the stuff was always there and it's fantastic stuff, but you sat there and you said, man, this guy just, he cannot get out the way that you want him to. Uh, Cause he was local he was, or local to a sense. He was Arizona. So, you know, pack 12, everything like that. You get to see him and he was interesting. And I said, yeah, this is a guy that's probably going to be a reliever. You know, it's a long projection, long development, everything like this. And out of nowhere, he's in double A and I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's impressive. You know, pack 12 is a very competitive deal. Maybe you put him in high A kind of thing and he spends a year there. Um, for him to be less than a year removed from call his final college outing to starting in the majors, not pitching in the majors, starting in the majors was mind boggling. And I got to say, you know, I know he's got like a five ish GRA, whatever it is, you know, it's up there, but um, he's performing for a guy that's that that young in his development and that young of a pitcher. Wow. I cannot believe he's competing at the major league level. And I think that, um, you know, you could bring him up this year, I think, and actually have him as a a reliever. Uh, He looks that he looks established. He's major league ready. Uh, Obviously you want to work on some things and that's why he's been taking that train between Madison and Anaheim. But wow, I cannot believe what Jay Silseth is doing. Yeah, you know, there was uh, the guys who everyone was expecting was people expected Sam Bachman to come up and be an immediate bullpen arm potentially. You know, people expected Kai Bush to potentially come up and help the bullpen immediately. But yeah, Chase Silseth was definitely not in a lot of bingo cards there. No, so. no. Uh, Bachman, obviously, the injuries have, have beat him up, the back injuries and everything. Um, Kai Bush is really interesting. I, I don't think the command is there. The stuff is definitely there. Um, he hasn't had struggles finding the zone. His control is fine. It's just that overall command in and out of the zone hasn't been it, – it's good. It's really good, just not major league ready. And I think that's a big item is you, you want these guys to be major league ready when they come up. And, and that was what really impressed me with Chase Silseth is that he was very – he's very close to major league ready. He's very advanced developmentally despite the 
weird college performance numbers. Um, Kai Bush going to the Futures game, I think that'll be a big eye-opener to see how he kind of fares against really high-end talent. Um, I know he's probably only going to get an inning or so, and it's hard to really touch on much of that. But, um, yeah, uh, definitely a guy that I see in the mix for next year as a midseason option for the rotation, possibly. Do you see uh, Kai Bush as a fall league candidate? Um, you can't, I don't know. Um, when it comes to that, yeah, obviously he has that kind of potential and those are the kind of guys that you want to send to the fall league. But at the same time, usually you're sending guys that have a weird innings cap. You're getting a little extra work in it. And Kai, I don't know what his absolute inning is right now, but I would imagine he's probably coming close, you know, by the end of the year, I would imagine he's probably close to capping out on his innings. So okay. Possibly, uh, you know, pitchers are harder to figure out than hitters. Definitely, okay. har- definitely harder to figure out. And um, so Sam Bachman, that might be somebody to look at because of the injuries. Maybe he yeah. needs to, you know. Yeah, I would absolutely believe so. I mean, I, th- I think everyone's going to go to instructional league, everyone that they view as a, a primary candidate kind of thing. And I think that Sam fits that mold. But yeah, Sam would definitely be a guy that I would, if I was going to handpick one, I would say Sam is probably the guy that goes. And then whoever from this draft, you know, you're probably going to have one of the draft arms and something like that. But yeah, Sam makes tons of sense. You know, a guy that you need him to get those extra reps and that's a great place to do it. Okay. So rounding out talking about last year's draft, who's one guy who was drafted last year that isn't getting the deten- the attention that perhaps they deserve. Um, I got bashed for this and I, I, I rightfully so I'll say this is uh, <laughs> okay. I got asked about this last week. Um, and I didn't mention Mason Erla. Mason Erla, Michigan State, five-year guy at Michigan State. He is a really special arm. I think he's a reliever in the long run, but he's done really well with uh, Madison and Rocket City. Um, Electric stuff, kind of a two-pitch guy, command of the the breaking ball. I want to see get better, but when you're in double-A, you know, that's what you're there for. Um, I think he was a 17th-round pick. late, Late teens, whatever it was, it was a late teen pick. And uh, definitely a real special arm. The guy that I did highlight, though, is Ryan Costu. Big fan of Ryan Costu. He's got a breaking ball. I I call it a slider. I think he calls it a curve, so I'm the one that's in the wrong. But uh, really a, a solid breaking ball. I like the fastball. I think it has movement. I think he's very aggressive on the mound. He's pure, purely a reliever. He's been getting some spot starts with uh, Tri-City and High A. Um, but definitely a guy that the first time I saw him, I sat there, I said, yeah, you know what? This guy's got a major league arm. Like this guy's, he's on my radar for sure. Um, you know, whether top 30 prospect or not, because of how we value relievers in a sense. Um, I'm not so sure if he'll pop up on a top 30 anywhere, but definitely a guy I sat there and said, yeah, this is a guy that's going to go on my, my notebook and, and highlight it. Oh, yeah, Mason Erlo was an interesting one when you brought him up. You were correct. He was a 17th rounder, 501st overall. And he's got a 2.38 ERA this year and a whip of 1.03. So he's been pretty impressive. And that name completely escaped my mind. But now that you bring it up and I'm looking at the numbers, I'm like, you know what? He's that's that's a good pick. Yeah, I, I someone mentioned it and I said, you know, you're right. I, I totally whiffed like I. I should have mentioned Mason. I think he's fantastic. I think he's a total bulldog on the mound. I know that's not something you put in a scouting report necessarily because it's not an analytical data, but um, look, mental side of the game is really important. I think he's going to be something really interesting. Um, You know, when we look at guys that we kind of value as relievers in the long run and Mason's one of those kind of, kind of one of those guys that fits in that category. I think we don't differentiate between middle reliever, high leverage reliever. I think Mason has high leverage reliever written on him. 
I really like what he's got. Uh, I think he's going to be a really fantastic arm for the Angels, uh, probably in the bullpen, but there is a chance he could start. Perfect. Okay, so let's now talk about this year's draft. So I looked at your uh, your projected top three. I looked at a couple of other uh, top threes, and the one I'm going to bring up is Jonathan Mayo. So you and him both project the same three guys to be drafted. So you're projecting Drew Jones, who's obviously the son of Andrew Jones. Uh, he's a high schooler. Uh, you both projected Jackson Holiday to go number two and Kevin Parada, the catcher out of Georgia Tech, to go third. Okay, so assuming you guys are both correct and that's exactly how the top three pan out which is the general consensus among uh, all the articles i read who who out of those three guys is going to have a major league impact the quickest um so just to backtrack a little bit which i think that could be the name of so many podcasts i guess but um my most recent mock i actually moved kevin ferrada down to five i still think he is an option at three um, I have Elijah Green at three. Those are all high schoolers. Uh, Elijah Green is. Kevin Parada would be the obvious one that would be the quickest to impact because he is a college catcher. Uh, they do take a little longer. Ca- catchers take longer to develop. Um, but you're talking about Drew Jones and uh, Matt Holiday's kid, Jackson Holiday. They're going to be three, four years out because they are high schoolers. Uh, obviously, things can change. You know, we've seen 19, 20-year-olds in the majors. Um, but I don't think Drew Jones is there. Uh, I think that he's a guy that standard development Jackson holiday is probably a little more advanced uh, to that case. Maybe not as much upside, but a little more advanced. Um, another guy that's going to take some time and Kevin Parada, uh, definitely one of the best players in college baseball this year. One of the more advanced bats in this class. And I think that there's upside in the bat, of course, but uh, probably a guy that would get there a year or two earlier. Yeah. You know, with baseball, it's common knowledge that you never draft out of need, right? You always take the best player available. So, you know, a lot of the times that's a high schooler, especially early on, you know, the athleticism's there, the potential's there, especially when you have dads who had (laughs) successful major league careers, that only helps a little bit. And that kind of helps get you some extra coaching. So. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, Matt Holiday had a fantastic career. Andrew Jones, um, argue he could be a hall of fame career to a sense. Um, I don't know if he'll get in, but you know, he'd be on my 10 ballot probably. And, and having those guys, uh, yeah. you know, lecturing you from the time you're born, it's not a negative. Um, and I have to apologize. It's not Parada. It's Parada. I got corrected on that yesterday, multiple times over. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Since you brought up real quick, a, a hall of fame vote and, and, you know, and having one. So in the hypothetical world where you had a hall of fame vote, is K-Rod a Hall of Famer? I, I've had this argument so many times. Um, no, and I'll – I'm going to get beat up for this one. Um, yeah, by <laughs> first me off, especially. Age, well, <laughs> yeah, I think when you're a specialty uh, item, such as a reliever or a designated hitter, you have to be the best, uh, the best of the best. So for me, when it comes to closers, it's Rivera, Hoffman. I think it ends there. I really do. Okay. Uh, when it's designated hitters, you know, we're talking about David Ortiz, Edgar Martinez, you know, Shohei Otani, it would be, but you know, you've got a little bit of a different luxury to that mm-hmm. kind of, of item. But um, yeah, for me, no. And also, you know, okay. I think that with the hall of fame on the ballot, it does mention that uh, it, it does mention the integrity of the game. So there's questions about steroids. There's questions about all kinds of things. Um, 
there are some things in, in K-Rod's past that have come up that aren't so pretty off the field kind of stuff. So you have to kind of dictate uh, how much of those off the field matters matter to you. Um, you know, I think Kurt Schilling is a hall of famer, but there's definitely questions about his, uh, some of the stances he's taken on certain things. Um, yeah. and that has nothing to do with his political decisions to a sense. It's just how, how drastic those decisions are. So there are things in K-Rod's past that I think are a knock to that. And I also think that he is not the, the greatest of the greatest. I don't think he's top five. Um, so that's where I would say, no, it doesn't take away that he is a fantastic player pitcher that they had a long career and a very successful career i think as younger writers step into the role of getting votes i think the shift will change a little bit because you know old school people were the same way you know closers don't deserve to get in you're a specialty player but nowadays i think we are starting to see a shift especially because you know people who are roughly our age do value closers in a much different light than you know let's just say our parents did right and at the same point you know i think the outlier is craig kimbrell Right. There was a there was a time where Craig Kimbrell was arguably the best pitcher in baseball one inning at a time. Right. Um, We look at him now. He's struggling to go an inning at a time. He's really having trouble with it. So, you know, long term success. Mariano Rivera never really had a struggle. Trevor Hoffman never really had a struggle. And and you can look at the peak of guys careers as a, a part of that. But at the same time. You know, Darren Erstad had a, a remarkable peak of his career, but he's not a Hall of Famer, right? Uh, he put up Hall of Fame numbers for a season or two, but it doesn't mean he put it up for 10 to 15 to 20 years. Okay, so um, let's shift our focus uh, back to the draft. Um, so many media outlets are not predicting many pitchers being taken, you know, top 10. However, uh, in the draft, that I saw that you wrote and you projected the Royals to take a pitcher eighth. So why is there not many media outlets predicting pitchers in the top 10 talent, talent level? Uh, first off, a high school pitcher is such a risky demographic, especially right-handers. So uh, the left-handers a little bit more ease. Uh, there are a few left-handers that do make some sense in the first round. There's even some right-handers and in my honest opinion, I think the best pitcher in this class is a right-handed pitcher who's injured. So there's you know plenty of value there to me, um, but the college pitching is very weak, very weak. You're going to see teams stretch things out and take pitchers, uh, but I think that for the state and when we're talking about mock drafts and industry drafts and things, you're going a little bit safe because you want to be you want to give the right information to the readers. You also you want to be right. You know, you, you no one wants to be wrong, right? And especially when you have a bunch of people that are kind of taking your information and relying on it. So the fact that there just isn't really a top, you know, a group of top tier college pitchers that are expected to be top 10 picks. uh, That's the biggest mark is that, um, you know, I think you could argue there are 15 better position players before you get to the first pitcher uh, in this draft. Now I wouldn't say that because I think Dylan Lesko is a top five talent, but that's me. Okay. So uh, the mock draft that uh, I was reading uh, prior to all this, you predicted uh, Gabriel Hughes, who's a two-way player out of Gonzaga, to go number 13 of the Angels. Uh, So for a team that just drafted and signed 19 pitchers, why is he going to be the best player available at 13, assuming you haven't changed it? I did change it, but I think think the Angels are split on two players. I think it's Gabriel Hughes, the pitcher out of Gonzaga, and Brandon Barrera, a left-handed pitcher from uh, American Heritage High School in Florida. So I think that Gabriel Hughes is still very much in the mix. I think it's down to those two with 
few names scattered in. I still think they're going to take a pitcher. And that's, uh, you know, being real honest, I don't think it's the best player available. I really don't. It might be the best pitcher available uh, between either of those. I think Brandon Barrera outside of Lesko is probably the second best high school pitcher in this class. I think you could argue Brock Porter. He's a little bit older, so the model's going to date towards Barrera. Um, Gabriel Hughes, you could argue – I don't even know if you can argue. I think it's down to two and there's a bunch of injured college arms. That was a big thing this spring. So many arms went down with injuries. Um, Landon Sims, who I think was uh, potential to be a, a very high end pick. He's injured. Connor Prelip, um, Peyton Pallet, uh, Carson Wisenhunt had to deal with a suspension. You know, there, there were college arms that were going to maybe go in the top 10 originally, but the injuries, the suspensions, things like this have, have really altered that. So, when you're talking about healthy guys that you have a full season's worth of information on, Gabriel Hughes is the top pitcher in this draft from the college side. Um, just everything that I have says the Angels are taking a pitcher, and that's almost to a guarantee. I mean, I, I think there's a very, like a minute, if you were asking me a thousand times over, I'd say a pitcher 999 times at this point based on the information I have. So, you know, who is the best pitcher? In my personal opinion, and I think the opinion of a lot of people, it's Dylan Lesko. Um, I think Brock Porter gets some attention. I think that Brandon Barrera gets some attention. And I think Gabriel Hughes and Cade Horton get some attention. And Cade Horton's an interesting name. Kamar Rocker, obviously very interesting. Um, but like I said, full season of health, full season of, of data, Gabriel Hughes is kind of the guy. We'll get to Rocker a little later because I know that was kind of a surprise last year and there are so many Angels fans who were salivating when his name was still on there. Um, so if Gabriel Hughes is selected by the Angels, will there be a potential two-way you know, upbringing for him? Do <laughs> you think that's part of the appeal? It'd be fun. I remember he was a position player. It would be fun. Um, no, but it'd be fun. So? Okay. It'd be fun. It would be okay. cool. Um, yeah, I mean, he he had some uh, attention as a position player. Um, interesting. And he probably still has some hit ability to him, but I don't think it's professional level hitting. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, because he technically just finished his freshman year because of the pandemic in 2020, correct? They didn't count that? Uh, it is his junior year. He is okay. a junior. But, you know, when you're talking about arms, uh, you know, how many are how many innings could you have gotten over the last two years? You know, sixty yeah. as before your uh, Friday night starter getting a hundred innings. So yeah, I, he's a very green arm. Okay, I, I was I, I I thought because of the way the eligibility worked for some of the players, you know, some of them they gave him redshirt ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't know if he was technically considered a sophomore still. Um, I don't think so. Okay. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, he's still fairly early on in his collegiate career from everything I saw. Uh, You know, it'll be interesting. It's so hard with the Major League Draft. I mean, if you can hit on, you know, the bulk of the top 10, you are very good at what you do. This isn't like (laughs) the NFL draft or even the NHL draft where it's a little more set in stone for the top, you know, 10. It's normally pretty well-known, pretty common knowledge. Major League Baseball draft is just so hard. It can be, um, you know, we're talking about information from when these kids were 16, 17 years old. We see them on the, you know, summer, summer circuit showcase. How about that one? Um, you know, we see them in the summer when they're underclassmen in high school and then we see them in college or, or we see them and, and there's all kinds of information and some names you remember, some names you don't, but there's thousands of names that you 
are ringing through and you know how many professional baseball players are there's 200 some for each organization 300 some for each organization so um you know you're talking about you know my math's not fantastic but that's about six thousand ish to maybe less but either way you know so um as we were talking about earlier, you never draft for need uh, in baseball. So based on what the angels did last season, is it at least fair to assume they're going to take a much higher interest in offense overall this draft? Or do you, uh, you never know really. <laughs> I, you know, really. <laughs> I, I asked the question. I didn't get an answer. So I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't think they're going to take 20 pitchers. I think there's going to be position players lined up. Um, but I will say, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a pitcher early and I think they're going to address pitching early. So I don't know when the first hitter is going to come off the board. The angels don't have a second round pick this year. I think that's where, you know, a third round would be uh, where I would definitely like to see that, but uh, who knows? Yeah. They obviously lost their second rounder uh, because of the uh, way the, the, the picks were. Syndergaard. Yeah. Syndergaard. Syndergaard. There you go. His qualifying offer uh, for anybody who was wondering. But, uh, okay, so that's all I have in terms of draft questions. I guess the last question I have for you is the trade deadline real quick for the Angels. Fair to assume they're going to be sellers. And who are, and once again, you never know with Perry Manazian, but who are some of the guys who you could see garnering a lot of trade interest? Would it be guys like uh, Noah Syndergaard being a big one? Obviously, I'm sure there's going to be some Shohei Otani phone calls. but Yeah, um, you know, in, in reality, I, I don't think it is a Perry uh, thing. I think Perry is opportunistic. We saw what he did last, uh, or last uh, summer at the trade deadline. I really liked what he did, um, you know, bringing in all kinds of pitching depth. Uh, even though they're, they're relievers, it was pitching depth. I really like what he did. But um, I don't think this team is ever going to be in a rebuild state. So I don't think that they're going to be at a point where you get rid of Shohei Otani. You're, you're going to get calls. You're going to get calls about Mike Trout, and, and you probably hang up the phone, right? But um, I don't know if they're going to be in a selling state or a, or a buying state because the organization from the top uh, kind of makes that decision that we're going to try and compete the whole way through. And if we're not, then then we have an issue. And, and you know, I think it, obviously the smart thing to do would be to try and shop a little bit and try and sell a little bit. And I think that Noah Syndergaard is the guy that, that would be the first phone call. I think people probably do have interest in Taylor Ward. Um, I think that's, that would be one of the guys. Um, and, you know, the, these long-term guys, you know, I, I don't think the Angels would get rid of Max Stassi or David Fletcher or, uh, or Jared Walsh, but I, I'm sure they're going to field calls for him. Um, and I'm sure those are going to be, you know, some of the things that, that do get called. I would say... Luis Renjifo, uh, and, and I don't think that it's a big market. I, I don't think that a lot of people are going to be eyeing in on Taylor Ward or Luis Renjifo, but those are probably the two names. Noah Syndergaard is one. And in reality, you know, what are you going to do with Joe Adele? Um, how much do you trust him? Does he need a change of scenery? Is is he ready to turn the corner and be that middle of the order, you know, middle of the lineup bat for you? Um, I think he is. I, I, I never surrender on, on guys that have shown me the talent before. Um, Joe was rushed up to the major leagues, uh, you know, and I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think Billy was trying to save his job a little bit and, and rightfully so, you know, that's a really important job to keep. And I think getting Joe to the majors was part of that, but I did think it messed up Joe a little bit. So I haven't given up on Joe Adele. I don't know a lot of people that have, uh, but maybe a change of, change of scenery and, and you make a big swap for, you know, a two, two year pitcher, someone that can help you next year that you're kind of just stowing away until next year. Uh, but yeah, I, I trade deadline is going to be tricky because what should happen, I don't think is what's going to happen. 
Um, I think the Angels should sell heavily, um, but I don't think ownership is going to allow them to do so. Yeah, I mean, I remember in 2016 hearing all the conversations about, oh, the Angels need to tear it down. You know, uh, they barely missed the playoffs in 15 and then 16 at the trade deadline. They were just pretty out of it. So I remember the whole, you know, trade guys like, you know, Escobar, Mike Trout, trade those kind of pieces. And now we're in a situation where, you know, maybe they should have at that time because we'd be talking about a much different organization. Unfortunately, the Angels have kind of been that team who since then have been a middle of the pack team. They're not picking top 10. They're not tanking. They're not, you know, selling. They just kind of keep on weathering the storm. And unfortunately, just has not led to much success organizationally over the last really decade. Yeah, and respect to Artie Moreno because he does want to win. He he wants every year to be a winning season, and if he wants to be the Yankees, he needs to act like the Yankees. And I'm not, you know, it's not my money, and I can't say that, you know, hey, go spend $250 million a year to build a, a playoff roster. Um, but I think that's something that has to be, you know, available. And at the same time, I've all, you know, I've always said this. Artie Moreno has been nothing but nice to me. Artie and Carol Moreno have been nothing but the nicest people to me, especially to my mother when she was going through cancer. And I respect that. And I respect that Artie Moreno is an owner that really does uh, focus on his business and, and wants his business to be successful. I think there's a lot of respect to be had there. At the same time, you have hired very smart baseball people to do their baseball jobs in Jerry Depoto, Billy Epler, and, and Perry Manassian. Let them do their jobs. And, and that's my opinion. Like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for Artie Moreno, but at the same time, you made a business decision to hire these people, let them do their, their work. And if you let them do the work and it doesn't become successful, that's when it's time to have the conversation. But to my end, you know, Perry Manassian over the winter addressed everything that he needed to address. It just hasn't worked out. That's not true. Uh, missing a shortstop. Missing a shortstop. That was a big one for me. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a huge one. Big hole right now. And it's it's seemingly getting a deeper and deeper, this hole. Um, okay, so last question I got for you, and I, and I want the short answer. I know this is a loaded question before we wrap up here. Joe Adele will be in the Angels organization come opening day next year. True or false? Oh. <sighs> Next. I put a lot, yeah. Next, <laughs> next, next, yeah. I put a lot of people on the spot no, with that not, one. Not next year. Next question. Yeah, no, I get <laughs> it. I get it. Um, I, yeah, I believe so. I don't think the organization has given up on him. Um, but at the same time, people are calling about him with the right package. Yeah. I think teams are. I think you know you're ready. I think team is ready to to make that move when they weren't originally. But at the same time, I think they value him. So the right value has to come with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think it's a complete crazy statement to say that he was called up, A, because obviously there's a lack of success right now at the outfield position. Obviously, you don't know what's going to happen with Mike Trout right now. He's listed as day-to-day, but you never know with the organization. And then, of course, you know, maybe it is a little bit of a a dog and pony show. Give him an opportunity. Maybe his value will grow, but there's really no way to know. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us as always. I appreciate your time. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward. You can check out my website, homeplateview.com. Um, you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. cetera. Uh, that is in search of millionaires life of a baseball gypsy. It's the life story of Bob Fontaine, who is uh, one of the key builders to the O2 angels team and, and a lot of other teams before that. Um, so, you know, if you get a chance, check it out. Uh, I think it's, reasonably cheap (laughs) so i think we can do that perfect 
All right. Well, Taylor, as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much as always and uh, continued success. Absolutely. You too, buddy. All right. Thank you so much for joining everybody. Have a great rest of your day.